Well, if you would turn to Titus chapter 2, verses 11 through 15. Titus chapter 2. We did the first 10 verses last week. We'll complete the chapter tonight. So Titus 2, beginning at verse 11 uh, through the end of the chapter. So for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Declare these things, exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no one disregard you. And God will add his blessing to, to this reading of his word. The, uh, sometimes if, if you're reading in theology, you'll come across the terminology, the already and the not yet. Uh, we as Christians live in that in-between period between Christ having already come and not yet come. He's coming back, so we're living in that middle place of anticipation. If you... Can think if you want to think of it this way, you could think of that the the old covenant believers they were living only in the not yet because uh, they were anticipating the first coming of Christ. But you and I uh, are now living in between the two comings of Christ, and Paul is going to use that uh, concept as another encouragement for us in godly living, uh, and as we. Uh, noticed last week, Paul very much puts together doctrine and duty or theology and ethics. They go together. They're not enemies. They're, they, they, they encourage one another. They support one another. Oftentimes in his letters, like Romans and Ephesians, he'll spend a lot of time on theology in the early part of the letter before he gets into application here, Paul is kind of going back and forth, and uh, what he is um, going to, the theology that he's going to give us, as we think about this, is the appearings of Christ. In uh, verse 11, he uh, says the grace of God has appeared. In verse 13, he says we wait for the glorious appearing. And the word for appearing is the word epiphany. Epiphany is basically a transliteration of the Greek word that is translated there in these cases as um, appearing. That's how it's translated, but it's the epiphany. And uh, it's, it's a word that was used not only in uh, biblical Greek, but in classical Greek. It communicates the idea of a sunrise, of light appearing, and... Uh, coming over the horizon, sort of dawn or daybreak. There's only one time in the New Testament that it's used in a, what you, I guess you'd say, a secular sense. Turn to uh, Acts chapter 27. Acts 
Acts chapter 27, verse 20, they are um, in a storm at sea, and they're going to ultimately suffer a shipwreck, Paul and his companions. He's, being, he's in the process of being taken to Rome for trial. But at any rate, in Acts 27, verse 20, it says... Uh, when neither sun nor stars appeared, had an epiphany for many days, and no small tempest lay on us, all hope of our being saved was at last abandoned. So that one instance in the New Testament, when it's used in sort of a physical sense, that the stars uh, did not make an epiphany. They didn't make an appearance. It was all dark. But beyond that one, one occurrence used in that sense, every other occurrence of the word appearing in the New Testament has reference to either Jesus' first appearing or his second appearing. There are four that uh, refer to Christ's first coming, and there are six that refer to Christ's second coming. So let me take you to a few just so you can kind of see this. Turn first of all to Luke chapter 1. Luke 1. It's in the, the birth narrative of Christ. And the verses 78 and 79. So this is in the pro- prophecy of Zechariah after the birth of John the Baptist. And it says here, because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light. Now, you might think appearing was in that verse 78, but that's not the case. To give light is the word epiphany. To give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. So Christ and John is preparing the way for him. He is going to uh, have an appearing uh, to give light to those who sit in darkness. Then turn to 2 Timothy uh, chapter 1, 2 Timothy 1, and we'll stay in, stay in the Timothys. <clears throat> so 2 Timothy chapter 1. Um, and let me pick it up at verse 9, but it's in verse 10. Who saved us and called to us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began, and which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus. So we have an occurrence of the word appearing, making reference to that first appearing of Christ. Uh, well, then let's go back. Let's go to 1 Timothy 6. 1 Timothy 6. Here we have several occurrences of the uh, use of the word appearing for Christ's second coming. <clears throat> and uh, 1, 1 Timothy 6, verse 4. Um, uh, let me back up to verse 3 to get the flow. If anyone teaches a different doctrine and does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ... And the teaching that accords with godliness, he is puffed up with conceit and understands nothing. 
He has an unhealthy craving for controversy and for quarrels about words which produce envy, dissension, slander, and evil suspicions. And I missed the 614. If I could read my notes, we'd get to the right verse. Okay, 614. Sorry for that digression, that rabbit trail. Verse 614, to keep the commandment unstained and free from reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. So we have Jesus' second coming referred to there. Uh, turn to 2 Timothy 4.1. Paul is giving a charge to Timothy. In 2 Timothy 4.1, he says, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom. And uh, one other one in 2 Timothy 4, verse 8. Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. So we have these two epiphanies of Christ. One is his first coming, the other is his second coming. And Paul brings both of those together in this text in Titus 2. Uh, Verses 11 and 12 are talking about the epiphany of his first coming. And then 13 and 14 is the epiphany. Actually, it combines it, but the epiphany of his second coming. So we have in verse 11 the epiphany of grace that brings salvation. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. Uh, The grace of God in the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, It's not that grace began that. God is gracious and compassionate. He's the God of all grace. However, that grace appeared It had an epiphany when Christ came and it became uh, visible to all men, men from every language, people, nation, and tongue. Uh, The uh, darkness that existed there at the time of Christ's coming was uh, the light shone brightly. And uh, the light shone in his birth. It shone in all of his ministry in his teaching. Certainly the appearing of grace was uh, dramatic in his sufferings and his death. And then the glory of it in his resurrection. And just as John told us in John chapter one, Jesus is full of grace and truth. And so we have the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared. It's in Christ bringing salvation for all people. That doesn't mean every single person head for head will be saved, but it means people from every language, people, nation, and tongue will be saved from all walks of life, uh, from all categories of people. Uh, It brings salvation to them. The second element of this is the grace that saves us is now the grace that teaches us or disciplines us. So we have in verse 12, this grace that has appeared is training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. So the theology of Christ's first coming is to discipline us to lead a godly life. 
and uh, the word for discipline here is the word for is word paideia. You maybe you've heard the word pedagogical. It's not just education. It's just it's not information, but it's to discipline our life. It's to train us to live a godly life. That's what the grace of God is come, in Christ has come to do. Uh, one author wrote, grace not only saves us, but it undertakes our training. So all Christians become learners in the school of grace. And grace bases all her teaching upon the great facts in which her first grand revelation of herself was made and finds all her teaching power in those mighty memories. So what does grace discipline us to do? Uh, Negatively, it disciplines us and trains us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions. We have to say no to things. We say no to the temptations that come our way. We have to, it's grace that enables us, grace that empowers and equips us for that, to say no to that ungodliness and that and worldly passions. And then positively, it teaches us, it trains us to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. So we're renouncing our old life, living a new life. We're renouncing ungodliness, uh, being trained in godliness. We're renouncing self-centeredness and um, embracing self-control. And this uh, pattern here in Paul is a common pattern. And often when I'm talking to people about uh, how do they get victory over sin, how do they make progress over sin, it's very important for us to remember how Paul always puts this. He always tells us these two things together. He says, quit doing this, and, but that's not enough. You have to start doing the right thing. So that in Ephesians, Paul would say, let the thief steal no more. He's going to quit stealing. But that's not enough. And in fact, you'll find if you just tell yourself to quit doing something, you're going to be all the more attracted to doing it. What do you have to do? You have to replace it with something else. Tell the thief, let the thief steal no more, but let him work with his hands to provide for those in need. So we have to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions, but that's not enough. We have to then replace that with the pursuit of living upright, godly lives in this present age. Perhaps I can compare it to uh, uh, meditation. Uh, Near Eastern meditation wants you to empty yourself. And that's not biblical meditation. Biblical meditation is, well, you do have to get rid of the evil thoughts, but what do you do? You replace them with the word of God. You, you, you fill yourself. You don't just empty yourself. You fill yourself with the truth of God. You have to do that. Or you will not make progress in godliness. And so we have the epiphany 
of grace in Christ in his first coming. We have the epiphany of glory in his second coming, verse 13, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. It will be a a glorious return. He appeared on the scene for a relatively short period of time. And when he returns in glory, that will be the consummation of his kingdom and we will live with him in glory forever. It will be an unending glory. It will be an appearance that will bring us that glory and it's the supreme object of our hope uh, that we long for. As Paul said, there's the crown of righteousness laid up for me and not only for me, but for all those who long for his appearing. And so we live our life uh, with a uh, a longing for the return of Christ, the, the glorious return of Christ uh, the, uh, when he returns again. And uh, you, sometimes you'll hear older saints what, when they're reaching the latter years of their life, they long for the return of Christ. You might have had a grandparent or someone who says, you know, Lord, I'm ready to go. I remember my own grandmother she, in her last hospitalization, um, I think a nurse asked her, do you want to go home? And she said, well, and she was a believer. She said, well, I'm ready to go home, either with Betty, that's my mom, or with Jesus. And that's the longing for his appearing that we have uh, in our lives We're ready to be done with this sinful world and ready to be in glory. But we'll we'll be here as long as, we're content to be here as long as God wants us to be. And then you have this this phrasing, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. It puts together uh, these two descriptions of our Lord Jesus Christ to be to his glory and honor. There is a debate, uh, John <clears throat> Stott talks about a debate that sometimes people divide those in between God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And he has a very good list of arguments why it, it ought to be together. Most of your translations that you have in front of you put it all together. Uh, and part of the reason for that, besides some language Um, support and issues is that this is a presentation of the divine glory of Christ. We wait for the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. He is God, and we long for his appearing. And it's a wonderful revelation of the glory and the honor of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And verse 14 continues with that thought, but it's interesting that he's reflecting back here on Jesus' first coming. We're longing for the second coming, but then verse 14 says, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. So he reminds Himself, we look forward to the appearing of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ, but he reminds himself, he kind of goes back to that first appearing 
that first epiphany that he appeared to give himself to redeem us and to purchase us the redemption of his people. He's the purchase price of, for his people. And he redeems us from the bondage of sin so that you and I might be a people belonging to him. What a wonderful description of you as God's people. You're not just wandering around disconnected. You have a savior who you are connected to, who you belong to. You're his precious possession. Will God watch over you? Absolutely. You're his precious possession. Uh, He's caring for you. He's watching over you. And the grace of God that redeems us also empowers us to be zealous for good works. We long to do that which pleases our God. Sometimes you'll have the criticism of Christians by unbelievers, well, they're too heavenly minded to be of any earthly good. Well, that's completely false. We're earthly good because we're heavenly minded. It's what empowers us and equips us to be of good in this world, to be zealous for good work, to be enthusiastic for good works. We uh, are empowered by the grace that redeemed us and purchased us and made us God's possession to serve him in our life. That's what he calls us to do, is to serve him. And the first coming inaugurated uh, that grace and uh, revealed it, and the second coming consummates it, uh, completes it. And you and I live in between. We're in the in-between times. Uh, we relish the, the truth of Christ's first coming, and we long for the truth of his second coming. And it applies to all the categories of people that Paul addressed earlier in the chapter. The older men, they live dignified lives because they're looking forward to the coming of the, the glorious coming of our great God and Savior. The older women are also dignified because they're living not for themselves, but for the one who loved them and, and, and they're the possession of. Uh, younger, younger women serve the Lord because they belong to the Lord and they give of their energy for that. Young men exercise self-control because the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared and empowers them to be zealous for good works, enables them. Uh, Titus himself is a model, slaves who have to work in uh, terrible situations, they're serving the Lord and not men. And it's Christ's epiphany of grace and, and gives us the hope of his epiphany in glory. And uh, we can't do it physically, but God wants us to look, as we live this life, he wants us to be looking in two directions at the same time. Look back and look forward. And keep both of those uh, in your mind. Um, One author described those as uh, two windows in the school of grace. 
And you kind of look out of one window and you see the grace that appeared. And you look out the other window and you look at the grace that's coming. And you and I are living uh, with the lookout of both of those windows. Uh, the chapter ends simply with another exhortation to Titus to declare these things, exhort, rebuke with all authority, let no one disregard you. He has been commissioned and he's challenged here and charged here to keep on with the work that he has to do. Wonderful thoughts of, God, of, the, of the grace of God that came and the grace of God that will come. And it is to be for our encouragement to live godly lives in this world and to honor the Lord in doing so. Amen. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you so much for the your word and its, its truth. Thank you so much for the glorious truth of Christ first appearing that brought salvation, that purchased us for you, that redeemed us from the bondage of sin. We thank you so much for the, the anticipation and the longing for that, uh, the, that appearance of Christ, the, the glorious appearance of Christ on the last day. Help us as we live in this world to do so with the hope of both of those appearances and the, and the, the encouragement and the strength that grace gives us to live for you. May we do so for your honor and glory in Jesus' name. Amen.